Welcome to Fourth Times the Charm, where niches meet. I'm your producer, Ben, alongside your director, Matt. Monty has almost finished his latest story for the sunsets in the east. Uh, But in the meantime, I wanted to provide a little bit of follow-up from the worst episode I've ever had to record, which was a reading of the uh, counts that have been put against Vince McMahon, John Laurinaitis, and WWE uh, from a former employee that had many awful, terrible claims, and we're going to follow up on that this week. So trigger warnings in advance um, for R words and uh, and and lots of bad business. It's, it's well, going to be a step up. It's going to be lighter than last week. It it'll. It'll be an attempt at it, but yeah, I was going to say last week was certainly like the most harrowing episode we've recorded since our Marty Jannetty episode. And, and Ben, I, if I remember correctly, we also have an update on dear old Marty. Yeah. Mar- How, how's how's it going over in the Jannetty household? Marty's losing his foot because <laughs> of longstanding For- issues with his foot. Is it like a Von Eric thing or like a diabetes thing? I'm not. I'm not sure. I just know that okay. it's a foot. And didn't his his sister died too, right? Uh, I don't. I I think so. Was because he said anything? He said she did, but who knows if that's real? From what? From okay. So what? What I read is is that I can't. Partisan by Marty Jannetty. I can't formulate a sentence right now. It's a tough time in life. Yesterday, they told me they want to cut my leg off. Struggling with that, my brother called last night and my sister died in his arms, basically. I don't even know what I'm saying right now. I don't think I'm going to podcast show tomorrow night. Please forgive me. I do love y'all. I just can't. I'm so lost right now. P.S. Many of y'all know both my sister... No, both my sisters. Diana is still hanging tough as a mofo. Diana, stay, stay strong. Keep believing. You get, you two getting, getting. No, no, he spelled the word wrong. Um, but yeah, I, I, I feel like we're really in a um a death spiral of of wrestling right now. I do, I do find Ben's. I, I after. I very similar to people like, um, like Jeff Jarrett, Jim Cornette and others. And like Eric Bischoff struggled to necessarily get through the, all the details. Um, I listened to a lot of our episode cause I think we were one of the only places that I saw could cover the complete thing, like not do the highlights. We did the whole thing. Um, but something that I found really interesting in the conversations that I heard from, ex WWE guys and ex leaders in the wrestling industry was them trying to reconcile their fandom after the event. Yes. So like as, as a longstanding super fan, like unequivocal super fan, a, the most famous Roman Reigns gift ever created, um, you know, almost every WrestleMania, the last 25 years, almost every major big four pay-per-view the last 25 years at, you know, the, first all in the second all in at all these major events as a wrestling fan what how do you reconcile with being a a wwe fan or wwf fan 
in regards to the recent allegations against Vince McMahon? Well, first you have to understand. Oh, sorry. Vincent Kennedy McMahon Jr. I like to include the junior. Yeah, you have to understand first. It's not being a WWE fan. It's being a wrestling fan. Right? Let's start there. Mm -hmm. Being a wrestling fan is accepting that the vast majority of wrestlers are terrible people. And I feel bad that for a bunch of people, they're just now finding this out. Um, Wrestling is a really seedy industry. It comes well, it, it comes from the carnival think, industry, right? Well, I was gonna say I was gonna say I think it's it's that the entertainment industry is one that at its core is incredibly predatory sure. and very frequently takes advantage of people. I mean, like when I when I saw Vince's report, I was like, Yeah, of course. He's basically Weinstein, but since he came from wrestling it's worse. Here's here's the way that you can reconcile wrestling, right? Is that the fact that these terrible people are in charge of the thing you love does not mean that you are unable to support the people who are held captive within that system. Right? Sure. Yeah, because ultimately it's like it's like black metal. Yeah. Ultimately, you not watching WWE is not going to change all the people who do watch WWE. Um, no. And especially not with the Netflix and, deal. Now. And considering how wrestling has always been this screwed up, if you if this makes you not want to watch wrestling, I, I mean, I understand that. But, like, you have to understand I, that this happens in, in all forms of entertainment, all forms of media, and all wrestling companies, right? Like, AEW's the only company that hasn't had a major a major snafu like this with one of their wrestlers. And who knows what comes out with the Kylie Ray allegations. At the moment, there's not a lot to go that, on. Is that but, the stuff against Chris Jericho? Yeah. Yeah, the stuff with Jericho. Okay. But I mean, who really knows what to make of that right now? Would would T would TNA be Jeff Hardy? Well, TNA, you gotta get more granular. I, I mean, okay. I, I mean, they would have like Jesse Sorensen broke his neck, and they said he would have a job for life, and then they fired him before he w- after like a year and a half from making that comment, or them I, I for, think, or, or think... them giving Daphne a severe concussion that uh that caused her you know years of physical trauma and they refused to pay for her medical bills and they fired her like that's i'd say that's pretty scummy you know i what what i keep what i keep remind what i want to implore our listeners to do because it just came to me i want you to go back and listen to our von erics episode um that we recorded prior to the iron claw coming out and Remember that that industry didn't change that much. Yes. It's just scale. Yeah. And control. I'd say that the the wrestling industry started cleaning itself up. I would say when WWE went PG. So like around 08. And, and but, like I'm not saying it's cleaned up. But how can we say that's the case with fucking Vince? Uh, you know. Because I'm. What? They went PG then and like 20 years later he's still doing everything that he did. Because JBL isn't raping brian christopher in the showers anymore 
and are we sure x-pac isn't shitting in mark henry's sandwich anymore and edge isn't writing in his biography anymore about seeing guys like jbl you know essentially assaulting him in the shower as some sort of alpha dominance um what yeah jbl really liked going after people in the showers like sexually yeah i mean brian christopher was because he uh was because he raped another girl and then JBL sodomized him afterwards. Um, but I mean, now, you know, WWE's backstage is covered in cameras, right? They just can't get away with that now. Now, if you... Well, yeah, but if, but Bruce Prichard and, and, and Vince McMahon are raping a woman double team on his desk in his office. John Laurinaitis, not Bruce Prichard. John Laurinaitis and Vince Sorry. are doing that. Um, yeah, I'm not saying it's good. Okay, I, I'm not saying it's good. I'm I know, not saying. I just, I just don't want to make the assumption that things have truly gotten better. I'm sure they are better what, than they what were. What I'm saying is that at least among the locker room for wrestlers, by all accounts, there's less drug use. There's less crazy mm. stuff going on. Um, and I'm talking for major companies, right? Like sure, yeah, the indies are yeah, like Dragon Gate doesn't have people sexually abusing monkeys anymore, and well, that's a story for another. Yeah, time. you know. But then again, if you look at indies, it's like you know, there's light stuff like GCW doesn't have uh do- doesn't have locker rooms for people when they come to Los Angeles. They have to dress out in the street or what? um. Or the entire British wrestling scene where, you know, I mean, there was a a cavalcade of speaking out comments uh, during COVID, which utterly dismantled the entire UK wrestling scene because so many people were implicated in that. Um, Mm. So, like, what we're going to see over the next several months, it might peter out into just a big payoff for um mm-hmm. uh for the victim it could end up dismantling the entire uh structure of wwe you know uh but i would say that wrestling has gotten better as a whole i would say it's still way seedier than people think uh and we're going to go mm-hmm. into some of that today uh from reports from brief bios from things people have said both recently and in years prior um, and, and one of the things that really kicked that off for me today was listening to an interview from Paul London, who worked mm-hmm. in WWE from I, about 2003-ish, 2004, all the way to okay. about 2009. So right in the middle of WWE's Ruthless Aggression era. Um, well, the best time. Yeah, he dated Ashley Massaro. Who, if you're not aware, she took her own life in, uh, oh. in uh, I, I believe, uh, 2021, 2020, a few years ago. Um, she That's not she good. had a lot of trauma from her time in wrestling. Uh, and Paul London, after her passing, talked about how Ashley, how he would see Ashley, you know, exiting. Uh, and off uh, exiting Vince McMahon's office and she'd just be crying, you know, 
Oh, and it was something that she, you know, didn't really want to talk about, but Uh him and a number of people have said in the past that, uh, that if women wanted to get pushes in WWE, they would do things to help them reach that place. You know, uh, I mean, for some people, it was easier than others. Michelle McCool found herself in a relationship with The Undertaker. I I think Mm. anyone would be asinine to think that that did not bode well for her career uh, because she was the face of the SmackDown women's division for several years. Um, Well, and and things like that now make me question whether she found herself in a relationship with Undertaker or she was pushed into. I mean, maybe, but I think that, I think that takes us out of, out of fact I, and speculation. Yeah, that takes us far too much into rumor and innuendo. Uh, okay. But I have uh, a, a bit of information to share about about several of, of these things. Um, uh, but the the Brian the 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 Paul London interview that started it uh, really kicked me off looking into some of these people and just what people have mm-hmm. been able to say about them. Um, right when John Laurinaitis was fired last year, Jim Ross was asked about him. Um, and it shows about it. It shows just like the the level of scumbaggery in the industry. Yeah, this isn't any like R word stuff. Uh, Jim Ross he was quoted as saying this about John Laurinaitis from last year. He said. I had a hard time as time went on trusting Laurinaitis. That's sad to say. I hired him. I gave him a job when he needed it. I don't think he treated me quite right. He just wanted to show Vince that he was a better manager than JR and all these things. So now his ass is without a job and he deserves the goddamn misery that he's living, that I perceive that he's living, and I didn't like how he treated me. God damn. Yeah, uh... Uh, John Laurinaitis came up uh, being trained by the Bushwhackers and he found his calling in All Japan Pro Wrestling where he was, strangely enough, the favorite wrestler of Giant Baba's wife. Giant Baba was the guy who ran and owned All Japan and his wife... Wasn't he? Was... uh, Giant Baba was the guy who wasn't abusive. That's a no-key, right? Generally, people seem to like Baba. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um people liked Baba so much that when he died, everyone but like two people left all Japan. And one of the few people who stayed was John Laurinaitis. Cause Baba's wow. wife loved John Laurinaitis, Johnny Ace, and he was always put in way bigger matches than in, he had any right to be in because his yeah. Baba's wife loved John Laurinaitis. So I, I, I think it's interesting that John Laurinaitis came up through very dodgy circumstances with the other sex, and he repaid the other sex by uh, becoming the head of talent relations. And in the mm. mid two thousands, when he took Jr.'s job, uh, do you know Matt how he how he would uh, find people uh, to hire for their women's division? Where would he go look? Ooh, can I make a guess? Yeah. I'm gonna. Okay, so my first guess 
and this is this is the nice guest is is any kind of uh sex work environment those you know strip club brothel anything like that he looked in uh model magazines so so similar ah. vibes yeah so he would just look at pictures my of follow-up women. was going to be high school cheerleaders because he seems like a <laughs> pedophile so he uh i i haven't seen anything about that i'm not co-signing that um, I'm just saying he gets he gives me the vibe. I'm not saying there's any evidence to imply that he is. Well, but after everything that's come out, so, like so, one person he hired by looking at her from modeling catalog was Barbie Blank, who would later became known as Kelly Kelly. Um, okay, and he was known when she debuted on the ECW roster at the age of 19 years old. Um, he made it <laughs> clear to everyone. That they needed to protect Kelly because she was innocent. Uh, Imagine your boss saying that about you. Like the person who hired you, uh, you know? Yeah, no. Uh, there's been... That's so fucking disgusting. There's a lot of really weird stuff about John Laurinaitis and the women's division. I I mean... Well, and did... And, and weren't there wrestlers who, like, I, I mean, I might be conflating my memory here, but wasn't John Laronis one of those people that, like, CM Punk and others talked about as being, like, a big reason why they wanted to get out of WWE? Like, he was, like, considered, like, a very dangerous person to be around, from my understanding. I don't even know if dangerous. He was known as being uh, a politician and just an asshole. Like, uh, Court Bauer talked about how... In 2005, Court Bauer used to be a writer at WWE. Okay. And in 2005, he pitched to Vince McMahon to revitalize the cruiserweight division by rehiring a lot of the cruiserweights who were in WCW. Um, Vince had him give his list of people to rehire to John Laurinaitis. Okay. Laurinaitis turned around and then hired a bunch of uh, minis. Um, a bunch of little people Minis? wrestlers. Oh God! Yeah, oh, sweet Jesus. Which she did just to try and screw over Court Bauer. So, that's disgusting. Like, and so you're saying he did he did this because he intentionally wanted to manipulate the situation in such a way that he would be he just get the one up or whatever. Yeah, he just wanted to torpedo Court's idea. And that's 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 kind of of Vince's ilk too, right? He notoriously would try to do whatever he could to screw other people out of what they were doing. Well, we've talked right? like he, we've talked about Vince in the archives uh, before about the the things yeah. he would do to go behind people's backs. Yeah, which is there, there are far more rumors about John Laurinaitis than I'll be able to recount mm -hmm. here. Uh, one of the strangest ones I heard came from Maria Kanellis. I will say, Maria Kanellis mm -hmm. used to work as a diva at WWE uh, after okay. the McMahon lawsuit came out last week, she commented on, you know, how she'd seen so many things as an employee at WWE. And um, she was uh, one of the things she said years ago, and she has walked back this statement. Okay. I'm saying that. Uh, but one of the things that she said before is that she saw the Bella twins, share a hot tub with John Laurinaitis back in the 2000s. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Uh, which is, and, and, you know, she sort of suggested that people should um, 
think about what that would lead to. Uh, the Bellas, of course, had a lot of success in WWE, uh, especially Massive. after they ma- after they got linked with John Cena and uh, Brian Danielson. Not to diminish their accomplishments, uh, Nikki in particular was a fantastic wrestler by the time she retired. Um, but what I find especially strange is that the uh, Bella twins or the Garcia twins, mm-hmm. uh, their mother. Uh, Kathy Kolachi married okay. John Laurinaitis in September 20, no in, in uh, March, shit. 2016. <laughs> yeah. They got engaged in September, 2015. So that's just a really <sighs> weird story to look back on. And uh, after yeah. the strange allegations that were put forth about Vince and Johnny Ace, uh, I, I think it's just something that's worth bearing repeating at least if if nothing else yeah i mean it's part of the larger story that we're gonna that's gonna unfold about these people um big Vito from who was in wwe and worked with johnny ace in wcw as well um told johnny ace on twitter in 2020 why don't you share some stories here I have some to share. You made life so hard. You portray a good life. But when you're drunk, you do some really shitty things. When you're sober and in power, it's worse. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. That's a tough cookie to bite down. (laughs) Yes, sir. It is. Um, Johnny Ace's tenure... Uh, as the head of talent relations has some of the most egregious moments that we know of that feature the women's division. Um, even if we're mm-hmm. talking about, if, even if we're not talking about the personal stories of the women who worked there, um, just what they were made to do on TV are pretty crazy. Uh, I mean, of course, before him, there was stuff like Vince McMahon forcing Trish Stratus to uh, strip down into her underwear and bark like a dog. Um they had, you know, mud wrestling and, and various, uh, various skits like that. But who, who was, who was responsible for like the bikini matches and the stripping matches? Was that all Vince or was that from the time period of Lauren Artis? I think it was Vince Russo who first really got no. them going in the late nineties. Cause you have to remember he was inspired yeah. by Jerry Springer, um, by, by a bunch of those mm. shows uh and and then after russo Lem, they really took it and they ran with it but you have to remember right women's wrestling in mm. america when it was run by the fabulous moolah who was the head woman in the wwf up until like 85 mm-hmm. her women were used to be pimped out and to service the other wrestlers to service the male wrestlers right they were yeah that was they were a traveling whorehouse um and what a way to put it yeah uh and once again alleged uh but multiple people have insisted that that's the case uh in considering the track record we're working with here right that's something we always have to remember um it's incredibly believable it's just incredibly sad yes exactly yeah um but um uh so coming from that you know it's easy to see Mm -hmm. how vince mcmahon could look at 
the women on his roster as essentially toys to be played with. Yeah. Um, one infamous example of how uh, a woman was treated uh, is Lita, who in oh, yeah. 2006 was leaving the WWE after being a part of the company since 1998 or 1999. Um, mm-hmm. At the start of the year, she was paired up with Edge on screen, uh, who she legitimately in real life uh, uh, had a dalliance. Had an yeah, had an affair with Edge while she was together with Matt Hardy. What what people don't that... talk about, and the reason why I'm mm-hmm. interrupting you, Matt, is because okay. they had an affair and it was quick and over with immediately and essentially by the time it was on tv it was long done it was long over with it was long past and vince Mm -hmm. mcmahon forced it on tv because he saw the controversy from it and it sounds like something he's done oh my god monty where'd you come from yeah oh my god monty he's been here the whole time I've been it, here, like huh? I've been here <gasps> in the corner. <laughs> yeah. So, but like to to your to your question, Monty, though, it's like when you look at like the world of like carnival performance, like those are the types of things you set up. Like it just it works yeah. out really well because that's just kind of what people. It's not that it's not what they want to see, but like man, aren't they? They're not sad about it. But no, like the the other incident that sounds very similar to what Ben was talking about that I remember was, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, Ben, because uh, you're you're the wrestling guru here out mm-hmm. of the three of us, is that incident with um, Le- how Legion of Doom came to an end with, mm-hmm. uh, was it Hawk? It's a good example. He had a drinking problem. Yeah, no, I think you, you educated me on that one. Yeah. And you said that they... Even when he became, after he became sober, sober from his alcohol uh, issue, uh, Vince made him play it into the storyline, which he really did not. Yeah, he had feel no interest well, in doing. I, well, okay, I don't, yeah. I don't know those full details. I do know that Hawk yeah. had a legitimate drinking and drug problem that they yeah. played on TV. Ironically, at the same time that they had Scott Hall on TV and WCW also doing a drinking problem storyline. Cause he had a real life drinking mm. problem. Um, and, and you know, it, they eventually wrote him off a uh, TV, I guess, cause the problems got too bad. Um, but you know, it's once again, not too bad to be entertaining. It, 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 once again, it's one of those things where, you know, Vince is incorporating people's real life issues, right? into tv yeah. mm-hmm. um uh the probably the highlight or low light segment of lita's uh storyline with edge was in january when she and edge had a live sex celebration on tv mm-hmm. um it came out in subsequent years <laughs> that lita did not want to do the segment she told them she didn't want to mm-hmm. do the segment John Cena told Vince that he didn't want to do the segment. Edge told Vince that he didn't want to do the segment. And Vince McMahon told Lita if she did not want to do the segment, he would fire her. So. Wow. What a kind, loving man. Yeah. Well, it got worse. (laughs) Um, I'm sure. In September, Trish Stratus had a very fond farewell 
to uh, mm-hmm. the WWE. She went into retirement at the time. Mm-hmm. Two months later, Lita decided that she too was done with um, WWE. It was a very, yeah. very stressful year for her, as you could assume. Uh, and then she would end her WWE run two months later at the Survivor Series mm-hmm. where she would lose the women's title to Mickey James. So she says in her words here, quote, I mean, I was happy to work with Mickey James, but in my mind, it was a good long match and we hug at the end of it. And here's the title. I see that's in good hands and I'm out of here. You know, mm-hmm. it just hurt my feelings and I was very vocal about it. I went to my producer that day. I went to the head writer. I went to Vince and I went back to my producer. I went back to the writer, back to Vince being like, is there any way we cannot do this? Can we just do this mm-hmm. as a pre-tape later? Like, can I just have this match? What is she talking about here? Um, after the match, uh, Lita loses. The tag team okay. Crime Time come out with a bag of what they say are Lita's personal belongings. So after a year mm. and a half of Lita being labeled a, a slut, like a terrible awful human being they start auctioning off items that are supposedly from her bag so they have like underwear they have uh g-strings and they're like these are leaders oh i I remember this okay uh that was actually her clothing oh what the fuck that was actually her clothing um Lita was told, quote, you're a heel. This is what we're doing. You're losing to somebody that we're going to boost up, and that's what you do when you leave. And then I was like, what did I do? What did I do, like, to have this ending? And they're like, you're looking at it wrong. It's business. You're a heel. That's what needs to happen. Oh, my. She says. Well, I'm sad now. She says, it's one of those things that was always so hard. I would get asked about it either by fans or in interviews, and it was hard. You're not trying to air your dirty laundry or go on these rants or actively carry negative energy with you, right? Literally. But it wasn't a thing where I could come up with something like a way to spin it. Like, it's great. It's hilarious. I was just like, yeah, it was a bummer. And they keep talking about it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to pile on, but I hear you. So that was 2006. Okay. Um, Tori Wilson was a, now a Hall of Famer. Tori Wilson mm-hmm. um, was interviewed about her time in the company. Uh, this is mm-hmm. something that was uh, recently nabbed from a Chris Van Vliet interview with Tori Wilson. Uh, and they asked her okay. about her quote unquote specialty match type in WWE which was the bikini contest oh yeah Mm. because in wwe they would constantly have bikini contests if not on tv on live events because they were hiring models not wrestlers uh tori wilson came in from wcw but my first ever live wrestling event had a uh a bikini a, a stripping match i think it was it was like a bikini like oh strip off uh, a brawn panties match yes a brawn panties panties i was there with my father i was like 11 did you enjoy it matt um 
It's no a, comment. It's okay. To, okay. <laughs> well, Tori Wilson. Why you put him on the spot? <laughs> Tori Wilson was asked about being in bikini contests in WWE. Tori Wilson was in the match. Yeah. Well, let's get, you have your mindset. Let's get into Tori's mindset here. Quote, okay. they were <clears throat> all mortifying. People don't realize. I went out there and owned it the best I could and pushed through the fear, but it was mortifying. There were times when I remember specifically a house show that I was in, this bikini showdown with Don Marie and Sable and someone else. I was standing in the corner watching one of the girls dance in the middle, and she's literally fighting back tears. Like, I cannot believe I'm doing this right now because it got to like a raunchy point. And I'm like, I don't mm-hmm. want to be a part of this, but that was also my job. So she's asked if she felt like she could say no to these segments. Mm -hmm. She says, quote, no, it was like twice that I could remember that I said no. First of all, I'm a major people pleaser. So to say no to people is really hard, even if it's someone, you know, I'm recovering from that. There was one time when I had a thing with Sable where Vince wanted me to come out with paint on my boobs like Sable did in 1998. And I was like, hard. No, I can't do that. I mean, it ended up being nearly nothing anyway. Another time was when I did Playboy. Vince wanted me to do a pay-per-view also, a Playboy video. That one was very hardcore pressed, and it was really hard for me to say no, but I absolutely didn't want that. So, (sighs) after she left WWE, she (sighs) says, I didn't watch wrestling. I didn't want anything to do with wrestling for many years after I left mostly because I had a certain amount of PTSD from being so vulnerable out there and feeling like I was put in this kind of like this raunchy role that wasn't me. I felt judgment from people. I felt like people looked down on me for like just stuff that I did, the bra and panty matches and all that. So like I just wanted to shut that door. For many years I didn't watch. It wasn't until they called me to do the Rumble that I started to catch up and then I got really into it. So... That's a lot of bad. And you have to remember, Tori Wilson was brought in to be a model. Like she never really had formal wrestling training. So if that's how she felt about these bikini contests, imagine for how people like Molly Holly, Lita, Tristratus. Yeah, like full on wrestling. You know, yeah, Yeah. Victoria. Well, not not to say that she wasn't a wrestler, but like, yeah. Yeah. People whose desire. Right. Well, and you and, and I mean, and we and we look at that, and we if we put that in in recent times, the uh, two the Royal the twenty twenty four Royal Rumble just happened like less than a week ago, and mm-hmm. you know the women's Rumble was probably one of the better women's Rumbles we've ever had, and you can only fathom people like I don't think in that world with the amount of trauma and abuse that was going on, you would have ever seen wrestlers. Like Jade Cargill, like like Naomi, like uh, Jordan Race, like any of these people would have been, at least the industry would have tried to break them or abuse them and may have not even tried to include them because of just either aesthetics or because their attitudes were strong and they cared about themselves and, and protected themselves. Yeah, I, I mean... You look at the path that so many women's wrestlers take after they're done with WWE. Look at China, you know, I mean, who completely fell off the face of the earth, you know, um, 
there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of trauma there that's still yet to be unpacked um and mm-hmm. and uh it you know we're talking about John Laurinaitis uh yep. a lawyer for John Laurinaitis um appeared this is quoted from Vice uh posted today okay. John Laurinaitis quote appeared to corroborate several central claims in the suit in a statement to Vice News today while disputing Laurinaitis's role as described in the complaint Edward Brennan, the lawyer, said that his client is himself a victim, just like the plaintiff, a former WWE employee. Quote, the what? truth will come out. Um, are they, are, do you think, is he going to try to claim that Vince also physically abused him? Quote, Mr. Or forced cooperation. Mr. Laurinaitis <laughs> denies the allegations in the misguided complaint and will be vigorously defending these charges in court, not the media. Like the plaintiff, Mr. Laurinaitis is a victim in this case, not a predator. The truth will come out. Read the allegations. Read the federal statute. Power, control, employment, supervisory capacity, dictatorial sexual demands with repercussions if not met. Count how many times in the complaint Vince exerts control over both of them. Wow. So the implication there is that Vince was also manipulating and abusing John because he wanted someone to be a like a partner, like he wanted a teammate. Or he just wanted to make John, and the implication is that he wanted to make John do things that he was uncomfortable with as another Vince power play. Yeah, I mean... That's the implication. Who, we're not, I'm not saying that's the fact of the matter. Yes, but. yes, exactly. I don't... Because I, I have a hard time believing... And that's and that's an unfounded opinion, but I have a hard time believing that someone's abuse as prolific as it was, very similar to Jeffrey Epstein, um, was going on without the power structure and the people's knowledge of those involved. I'm not going to say like Hunter or um, his kids were aware to this to the fullest extent of what he was doing, but I do not, in any capacity, believe that the people at the top of the pile, people making executive decisions and working very closely with Vince had no idea. I don't know how Triple H would not know. Well, that's the same thing. And then, and, but for me, then if you're going to say you wouldn't know how Triple H doesn't know you have to, I think the most important thing to examine here is the power structure in those close events. True. Because how do they not know? You know, it's, it's how, how does John Cena not know? Well, how does the undertaker not know? How does stone cold not know? And when, when I watch, people like Jared and Bischoff and Cornette talking. I, the first, when I, the first person I, I saw interview spoken about it, who was a part of the industry was Eric Bischoff. And not only was he mortified and disgusted, he looked afraid, not of what happened, but of saying anything. He seemed like he is afraid of Vince. They all do. They all seem terrified. They, they're victims in a sense but it doesn't mean that they weren't bystanders. And the scope of that bystander effect might be bigger than any of us are ever going to feel comfortable with. And who's to say what Ari Emanuel and TKO and Endeavor are going to do to clean house back in Connecticut? It's a good question. It's a good question that we don't have answers to. And I don't know if we're ever going to get straight answers on this. 
Well, I think I think the straight answer would be is that everyone just kind of ignored it. Because I mean, you know, and that implies that the entirety of the organization yeah. can, to some degree, be implicated. And the only people who can't be are those who were direct abuse yeah. victims. I mean, do you have guys like Michael Hayes who were sus- who was suspended in 2013 um, for drinking with recovering alcoholic Rosa Mendez in a bar? Oh, my Lord. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to close my uh, my stories here uh, by talking a little bit about Brock Lesnar, the oh, the God. unnamed man in the oh. lawsuit who could be no one other than Brock Lesnar. Yeah, it does not seem like there's any other reality. Who, who's the other former UFC heavyweight champion who's re-signed with WWE in 2022? Well, it could be anybody. It's Ronda Rousey. Yeah, right? Um, <laughs> what, there's there's two stories about Brock Lesnar that have circulated for a while. Um, do you do you want to go with the light one or the heavy one first? Let's 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 go with the light one this week, and we'll open next week with the heavy one. Um, unless it's like I I think it heavy. I'll I'll squeeze both these in, but it's pretty it's pretty all quick. Right. Okay, we'll do the heavy one first. All right, all right, all right. Butter me up with some pain. Um, Sable. <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah. Began a relationship with Brock Lesnar and broke off her marriage with her first husband, Mark Marrow. Um, they would have uh, issues with their relationship in 2004. Um, and she would break off the relationship. Uh, in Brock Lesnar's book, Death Clutch, My Story of Determination, Domination, and Survival, Brock spoke about his relationship with her. Uh, This is quoted from EssentiallySports.com and then further quoted from Brock's book. Quote, uh, in one such incident, Lesnar spoke about how the relationship had taken a bitter turn and Sable had stopped her contact with him. However, Lesnar was determined to win her back. And he flew to Florida and did an unimaginable thing to win her back. This is clearly like not a recent article based on the tone of this, uh, but also yeah, I know exactly. But also notice how articles like this have different tones when people aren't actively looking for this shit. Okay. Yeah. yeah. In his book, Lesnar wrote that when he visited her house in Florida, it was locked. However, he saw a neighbor who knew them. He wrote, "Quote." I saw a neighbor standing by his garage, and I knew he had seen me around with Rena, Sable's real name, enough to know we were a couple. That was a lucky break for me, because the guy never got suspicious. I told him I was working in the backyard and needed a screwdriver. Brock would then take the screwdriver to break into the house. Uh, Brock knew the passcode so he could turn off the alarm to the house. Um, quote, love can often make people do things which are socially not acceptable. While Lesnar broke into Sable's house, it was still an illegal thing to do. So yeah, he, and we're just going to casually report that he, mm-hmm. he <clears throat> breaks into her house and waits for her cause she's not home. Finally, he calls her from the landline inside the house. Yes. Sable picked up the phone fucking horror movie and shit. got angry. 
When Lesnar revealed that he was calling from her house, Sable was in shock. She yelled out, you better not be at my house. However, things would soon turn calm, and the couple would spend several days together before Lesnar eventually proposed to Sable. What a great fucking love story that is. God, I feel so happy right now. It it's like a, it's like many of the stories from history when when kings would sell their wives to people and then they just ride off without complaint. They of course they were happy. Yeah, Brock Lesnar was known for uh, groping Jim Cornette's wife while he was in OVW. Um, he like the 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 allegations that people are trying to protect Brock from in several forums right now. This follows a long line of uh similar Wait, are there there people trying to protect him right trying now? to defend him you know no names on why because people are stupid matt because <laughs> okay. people are stupid yeah, sure. all right yeah um if you're listening to this or you encounter anyone who's trying to defend brock lesnar's integrity you're a dumbass so fourth time's the charm TM. my very last thing i'm going to share here is okay. a story from terry runnels one of from everything i've been able to see one of the toughest people in the wrestling business she was part of the wrestling business all throughout the 90s um she was married to Goldust when he when dustin rhodes was having a bunch of his personal problems um and uh, this story she shared is from 2002 it was a pay-per-view that would precede the plane ride from hell that we've discussed on this podcast preceding or proceeding preceding came beforehand okay this is a 2004 interview with PW Torch. So this isn't something recent, okay? This isn't when Brock Lesnar was really in the news cycle. Quote, Ew, you know what? I'll tell you something, because this is something I've never told before, but I'll go ahead and rat on him. I have no respect for him whatsoever, Brock she's referring to. The reason being, and maybe this is because he was young and dumb and we've all had our young and dumb moments, when he was first in the business, I will never forget, we were at a pay-per-view in England, and the girls' dressing room and some other little room were right next door to were right next door to each other. Dustin was in this other room watching a monitor, and beside Dustin was Brock. He was in the middle. To the right of Brock was Kurt Hennig, and I walked next door to say something to Dustin. I forget what. And Brock was sitting there in a towel, and Brock opened the towel and exposed himself. And boy, was that a little red penis. Oh, I have never yeah, well. seen something so red. I didn't know skin could be pink like a mouse. I just didn't understand that could happen. But it was this pink thing. I remember thinking, number one, well, why would you want to show that? Number two, I remember thinking how disrespectful it was. I carry myself as a lady and have for many years you tell him terry well you know in in the name of 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 brock lesnar's tiny penis i think we're we're gonna have to spend a lot of time kind of examining the context of a lot of the stories that we've now can put into even more proven context the truth like, has always a, been there for anyone who wanted to see it. Well, we've, we, I mean, I think we've even, even mentioned it on this podcast. And I remember in the, 
in the aftermath of the allegations and the and the complaint in court, you know, we always knew Vince was evil. But this evil. Yeah. This is this is worse than See No Evil, the Kane movie. In terms of quality or <laughs> horror. <clears throat> Both. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> I I am more mortified, and this is much worse than that. Mm. there's just like there's like no there's like no happiness to this yeah and so i mean there's there's the, there's the hope of the industry going forward right like there's the dream that at least within wwe aew new japan and tna that this kind of behavior it's impossible to believe that it'll ever be completely gone i will never lie to myself to say that this stuff's not going to keep happening in any entertainment industry not just wrestling the entertainment industry as a whole but maybe, hopefully, things like this give even more attention to the fact that these things are happening and that the people are taking advantage of them. But the sad and scary thing is, and it's probably big, a bigger conversation this podcast is, you know, in the field of examining, but like given Epstein and all of the things we've learned, you know, there's just thousands of Vince McMahons out there. That's right. And and probably even more John Lyonardises. And the terrifying thing is that these are the the news that we hear about all these scandals. These are the ones that came out. Yeah. So yeah, who's to the, say? These right? are the How ones many, that were dumb enough to get caught. This is when Vince yeah. got what, sloppy. What to say is the one. It's just like what well, my wife and I would always say. Like you know, we talk about crime shows and serial killers. These are the ones that got caught. Who's to say? There are people that are out there that never have been caught or are out there still at these crazy sick things, right? Well, and and you know, there's there's two things that come to mind with that. Um, and I think they kind of tie it up. And the first is a quote from Ted Bundy. You learn what you need to you learn what you need to kill and take care of the details. It's like changing a tire. The mm-hmm. first time you're careful, the thirteenth time you can't remember where you left the lug wrench. And yeah. on top of that, and this is kind of a, a heady connection to this, which is that when we think about like the vastness and the depth of the ocean, right? There are, we've explored the, if you distilled the ocean into a swimming pool, we've covered and examined a single cup of water worth of it, pretty much. And just like, just within like that, the iceberg. <laughs> sure. And, and within that, you know, we've seen creatures that are huge and terrifying and scary. And we know that there are, there must be these massive, terrifying giant squids, giant octopi, these things that live in the abyssal zone where size can, can inflate to functionally infinity. And we've caught some of them. And the ones we've caught are terrifying and huge and kind of inconceivable. And... The thing about it is the only ones we've caught have been the sick, the dying, and the weak ones. Mm-hmm. And the depths that people – and the depths of depravity that people like Vince McMahon are committing and who are committing them are just the weak ones. Just the ones that, like Ted Bundy, they can't remember where they left the lug wrench. Well, Cthulhu must be very smart then. She's sleeping. No. Oh, it's a she? I thought it was a he. 
<laughs> no, Cthulhu is the great sleeper. She 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 dwells in the ice of Raelios, deep, deep beneath the ocean. She also can etherically control the size of her own body, so the ability to discover her is really kind of up to her. Bro, me too. But as long as she's as long as she's still sleeping, we're all safe. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, anything you would like to share, Monty, before we sign out? Oh, man, I I listened to your last episode and is very depressing and then i watched uh um a video i think i shared it with you guys in our our, our private chat about the the japanese wrestling stuff yep. which is why i brought up about the iceberg yes and that w- that made it even more depressing we're, get, we're but, gonna get into it yeah okay. but uh yeah. i'll i'll circle back so to your question from the beginning of the podcast, Matt, where you ask how can wrestling fans <clears throat> reconcile being fans of an industry that's so brutally corrupt. And I would tell you that for these people who work in this industry, who have grown up with a passion to become wrestlers, they still need to be supported. I would also say that all entertainment has its ghosts and that mm-hmm. we can only hope that it will be better. If not, when the fourth time's the charm, hopefully somewhere <laughs> down the line. <laughs> yeah, I hope it doesn't have to be fourth time. So, oh, oh, yeah. Wow. But, like, you know what? It, it's, it's true. The fact of the matter is, at the end of the day, it's that individual. Or in this case, those individuals. It doesn't represent the, you know, the good in some of the other people, right? That's right. It's just unfortunate that Vince McMahon is American professional wrestling. Fourth time's the charm. We'll see you next. Talk to you all later.